So, three weeks ago, is the last time I think I was, I was speaking up here, I was speaking about that you belong. So if you weren't here, uh, I would recommend you go on to our website, check out the podcast. It was a really, really good message. You want to know why it was a good message? Because I spoke it, and when I speak, it's always good. And that's when everybody shakes their head. I like that laughter. It makes me feel good, because it's all about me this morning. Um, but anyways, check it out. This is kind of my, my next one in line. I'm calling it the waiting place. Tell the person beside you the waiting place. Sounds like an interesting topic, right? Doesn't sound like the most pleasant of topics. Uh, Davey's got a little sound clip that he's going to play for me, okay? So if you have sensitive ears, I'd recommend that you cover your ears because this isn't the best sound that you've ever heard, okay? So prepare yourself for that. I don't know how loud it's going to be. That's in his hands, uh, but prepare yourself, okay? So Davey, you can play that for me. It's just, it's just the sound, so. Buffering, oh, oh, there we go. It's a great sound. Now there it is. Just, just let that sound resonate. Woo, there it is. That's good. Who here remembers that sound? Seriously, what is that sound? dial up from our internet, right? Why is that so funny? I saw this movie a while ago, and it was this, this woman from New York City. She was uh, obviously New York City's fast pace, you know, high-speed internet, of course, right? And she goes to Alaska for the weekend, and she's just there. She's in a small town, Alaska. She's at a library. She's got to insert quarters into the machine to get the internet to work. Okay, so this girl from New York, again, putting quarters into a machine to get her internet to work, and all of a sudden she hears a sound, and she's just like, jumps out of her seat, like, what is this? You know, a New Yorker is not used to whatever that was, right? And so the scene cuts away anyways, but the point is, obviously, of just how she's so fast-paced, and all of a sudden she's having to wait for her internet to load, right? So you guys all remember that sound, so you'll remember that nice blue line at the top of the browser that would be like, you know, your browser's this long, it's a bit like this here, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting for it to, to go all the way across, right? Think of today. So put yourself, that error, put it into today. How would you handle that situation? Would you handle it well? Oh, silence, I like it. It's broken, right? First thing you do, you call up your internet provider like something's wrong, right? So anyways, I was at, um, this goes together, I was at Starbucks a few days ago working on my message, and I generally go to different cafes to work on my message that are quiet, and because it's a long weekend, lots of university students are coming back, and I didn't think of that before going to Starbucks. Um, so I went in there, the line wasn't too bad, but there was a lot of people standing around, so I went and ordered my coffee, and thankfully it's September now, they have pumpkin spice coffees back, amen? Come on. Oh man, I got a mixed room with that one. I'm going to pray for you guys. God, we just blessed the, the pumpkin lovers in this room right now. Um, but anyways, I had, to, I had to wait for my coffee. I was like, what is this? Don't these people know that I'm a very busy person? Don't they know that I have work I got to get done? And literally, like, it was no more than five minutes, right? How bad is that? But in my mind, I was going crazy. I was going like, you know, I've had four kids, right? You think I'm good. I think I have patience by now, but I don't. 
And it's just like, how can this be? How do I have to wait five minutes for like a cup of coffee, right? And these people, like, you know, people way ahead of me in line, like the line that was there are still waiting for their coffees. I'm like, if I didn't pay, I would have walked out by now, you know? I was in that kind of a mood. Um, but sure enough, all of a sudden, like in my, my head here, I'm just like, got convicted in my spirit. I was just like, how sad is that where I am right now that I can't wait five minutes for these wonderful people ahead of me to get their drinks before me? Because it's not like, you know, it's not like Amy was at home delivering a baby or anything like that. It's not like I was in like that much of a rush, right? And if that was my issue, I'd probably have bigger issues if I'm at Starbucks trying to get a coffee if she's in the middle of delivering a baby. Um, but the point is, it's, it's crazy how fast, I'm speaking of myself here, it's crazy how fast you can get frustrated in those situations, right? And so, that's where we're going to go today. Does that relate to anybody in the room? Oh, I like how some people put up your hands. You don't have to. Um, but it's just like, you know, we're in a fast-paced world, right? Uh, so, I'm just going to go over some scripture here. It's Genesis 13. If you want to write it down, you can check it out later. Uh, Genesis 13 is verses 14 through 16. Basically, it's where God's giving the promise to Abraham that his descendants are going to be like dust of the earth. They're going to be so numerous to count, right? And so that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Abraham, you're going to have all these descendants. You're not even going to be able to count them because there's going to be so, so many of them, right? And that's not like today. If you have more than like one or two children, people look at you like you're crazy, right? Back then, it was just like you wanted to have a lot of kids, right? So Abraham... 75 years old when he gets this promise from God, okay, that he's going to have all these descendants. 99, you fast forward to 99 years old, God comes back to him and he says, this time next year, you're going to have a child, okay? So my math isn't great, okay? 75, 99, you guys can do the math, right? 24 years God comes back and reminds him of the promise, right? I'm sure that promise never left his mind. I'm sure it was there throughout those years, right? But it took 25 years for that promise to start to unfold. Is 25 years a long time? It's a really, really long time, isn't it? Right? It's, it's easy for me. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I'm reading the Bible... It's easy for me to go from one book, you know, one chapter to the next chapter. And sometimes you don't put a whole lot of thought about it, right? And sometimes it's like, you know, it started in chapter 12 where the promise are, and then it's next thing you know, you're in chapter 22, and it's finally starting to come through. But it's like, okay, that's like eight chapters, but that's a lot of, a lot of time that's gone by, right? A lot of frustration, a lot of stresses. But 25 years, and this time next year you'll have a child, blah, 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 Right? To me, having one child doesn't sound like your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust on the earth, does it? One child, would you guys get that concept? You know, if somebody's saying, you're going to have a lot of kids, and you're, and you're in your old age, and all of a sudden it's like you have one child, do you think, that, you think that resonates with you? It's just like, probably not, right? Are you guys with me? Okay. Uh, David. David was 17 years old. You know, King David, right? You guys know who I'm talking about? David was 17 years old when Saul came and anointed him king, right? But wh- Samuel, thank you, guys. Gosh, you guys have every right to correct me. Good. Samuel, Saul, there we go. 
So David was 17 when Samuel came and anointed him king, right? And so what was his age? What was David's age when he actually became king? 30. 17 to 30. 17, 30. How many years is that? 13 years. Till he came to walk into that promise that God gave him, right? So I saw one article. I really liked how it says. It says the 13 years of training ground. And I was like, it's brilliant. 13 years of training ground, training ground, training ground, training ground. Tell the person beside you, you may be in a training ground right now. Because it's one thing when we look at it and be like, well, it took 13 years for, for David to be anointed from Samuel. I got it right that time. Samuel, right? And we could think of it, oh, it's a long time, right? It's like, well, why did it take so long for that to happen? Blah, 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 right? We start to go in this complaining mode. This is like, oh my gosh, God, you take forever to like walk through your promises, right? But when we change our mindset and be like, well, what happened in those 13 years? And we're going to spend the next five hours going through what happened in those 13 years. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to get Jonathan Berger here. He's going to start a home group, and he's going to go through those 13 years of David's life for me, okay? So sign up to it. I'm going to for the next 13 years. There you go. But there was a huge growing period in those 13 years, wasn't it? David became the king that he was because of that training period, didn't he? Not that he was perfect, right? He was far from perfect, of course. He stumbled a lot. He fell a lot. But the beautiful thing about David, as I'm sure a lot of us know, is just that he had such a beautiful heart, didn't he? When he stumbled, what did he do? He would fall down at the feet of feet of God, right? He would just come to the Father and he would just weep and weep and weep. And it's in those training years that those kind of characteristics come into play, right? So, if you have your Bibles open or on your phone, you're going to go to 1 Samuel 24. I'm nervous every time I say Samuel now, guys. 1 Samuel 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 here this morning. So I'll give you guys a second to grab it. Or you can write it down. I need my coffee this morning. Okay. So verse 1. After Samuel returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rock of the wild goats. Verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Thank you for that, that little part in there, right? That's, that's an interesting part. First time I read the Bible, I was just like, all these little things in there. I'm just like, really? It's interesting, isn't it? Relieves himself. Okay. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back into their cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Okay. So, besides the part of relieve Saul relieving himself, I, I really do like this chapter. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. David has this amazing opportunity 
to walk into the promise that God gave him, doesn't he? Right? He could really take that promise and put it into his own hands. Right? He could have been like, yeah, this is a, such an amazing opportunity. God definitely gave me this opportunity, didn't he? Right? And he could have become king right there and then. And the beautiful thing about it is his men are being like, David, this is an amazing opportunity. You've got to take advantage of this, right? They're using the God card. They're even like, God's giving you this opportunity, so you've got to do it. But again, the beautiful thing about this training period is what happens. Verse 5, his conscience starts to bother him. Who loves their conscience, right? Kind of saves us from doing some things we probably shouldn't be doing, right? But, you know, again, I think for David, it's probably a pretty tempting situation. You know, you, you have this promise that you're going to be king. You have your men behind you telling you, David, this is a good opportunity. But again, to be so in tuned with who the father is to be like, actually, no, right? To be bold enough to be like, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, God doesn't fulfill a promise to us and through sin, all right? Anytime we tell ourselves that, it's not okay, right? It would have been sin for David to, to kill Saul, to walk in that promise. And that's not God, is it? Right? So if you're like, well, Adam, it really feels like this is God in my life, right? But if it's going to take you through sin, I can guarantee you that's not the Father's heart. All right? Are you with me? Okay, kind of even um, you can parallel this with Abraham and Sarah, right? 75 years old, they get that, that promise that their descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust on the earth. I think it's about 10 or 11 years approximately. They get tired of waiting. Tired and tired of waiting. They're getting desperate. And what does Sarah do? Sarah talks to Abraham. They're like, Abraham, take my slave and have a child with her. Right? They're taking God's promise and they're putting it into their own hands. Right? And it's easy for me to read that and be like, oh, guys, why didn't you just trust him? Why didn't you just trust God? His timing's perfect, right? But when you're in the situation, right, again, waiting 10 plus years, again, is that a long time? It's a really long time when the desire of your heart is, I want a family, I want a child, right? So let alone that desire that you want a family, and then you get on top of it, God saying your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust on the earth, you get through these points in your life where it's just like, God, maybe that is how it's supposed to happen, right? And you start to reason with yourself that this is supposed to happen or this is how it can happen, right? So you can see the, the, the frustration. I'm going to get um, Jonathan to come up this morning. He doesn't know this yet. How are you? You're, you're good? So I'm going to ask Jonathan a question. Does everybody know Jonathan in here? He's an amazing man. He's our, our kids' pastor, okay? Uh, but it's nice to have you here this morning. So I'm going to pick on you a little bit. So how long, if I asked you to do uh, jumping jacks, how long do you think you could do it? I don't know. Maybe three, two or three minutes? Two or three minutes, all right? So go. <laughs> it's good. Should we, should we put it to test here? How many minutes were you willing for me to say? I was, I, was, yeah, I was really happy with your answer. I was a little <laughs> nervous what you would say, uh, but I was really happy with it. All right, so let's fast forward, okay? Let's say it was two, three minutes, you know. <laughs> You're tired now, oh my gosh, right? But now, let's say God tells you, Jonathan, do jumping jacks for the whole service. 
do you think you'll get tired? Still, right? But do you think God would give you the strength you needed in order to do it? Some days. You can sit back down. That's all that's list. Right? When God tells you something, he's going to give you the strength you need in order to fulfill the promise. Okay? Is it easy? Definitely not. I wish it was, right? But he's going to make a way for it to happen. And what do we have to do? We have to stay on course, right? We have to go in each and every day, put our trust in him, put our faith in him that it's going to happen. Um, even thinking of this church, uh, God started to give us pictures. God gave us words that we're supposed to plant catch for a kitchener. And I was like, oh, great. God said it, so I'm just going to have a seat, and it's going to happen. Right? Is it okay if I sit here for a bit, guys? God said uh, we're going to plant a church, so it's just going to happen, right? So we just, we just sit down, and we don't do anything. I mean, I was just like more me than her, because uh, she's a lot more spiritual than I am. But for me, I... I get these problems, I'm hearing these words from God, I'm getting these prophetic words that catch for our kitchen, we're going to plant it. It was like, all right, this scares the kajibers out of me, but God, you said it, so it's going to happen, right? So I just take a seat and I just kind of leave it at that. Does anything happen? No, right? Sometimes we've got to put some effort into it, right? We've got to start praying into it. Um, again, even with the, the push-up, or the push-ups, the jumping jacks, you have to actually put effort into it, into what God is saying, Right? Sometimes I think the beautiful thing is it doesn't look how we think it's going to happen. All right? Tell the person beside you, sometimes it doesn't look how you think it's going to happen. You can tell somebody that. It's a, good thing to, it's a good thing to remember. All right? And I think that's the important thing to know, that just because we think this is how it's going to look doesn't mean that's how it's going to look, right? And for me, that's, that's a big one. Right? I have it in my head that this is how it's going to happen. This is how the church was going to happen. It was going to happen quickly. It was going to happen fast. You know, there was going to be a salary right off the bat. There was going to be lots of people right off the bat. And then after a few years, it's like, oh, it's definitely not happening any way that I thought it was going to happen. Right? And you start to lose hope a little bit. You start to get discouraged a little bit. Right? But then you have these amazing people around us, surrounding us, praying for us and being like, keep speaking life into us. And all of a sudden, you know, another year goes by. Still not how I thought it was going to happen. Another year goes by. Still not how I thought it was going to happen. I think it was what, like year four, year five. Then all of a sudden, things start to open up, right? As we surrendered it to him, all of a sudden, things start to open. Uh, but the point is that when God speaks something into your heart, all of a sudden, something changes, doesn't it? Right? When God tells you something, all of a sudden, something happens right? Something changes inside. All of a sudden, what was normal for you isn't normal for you anymore. All of a sudden, what was kind of satisfied your hunger, all of a sudden doesn't satisfy your hunger anymore. Does that make sense? When God puts a dream in your heart, you can't really turn your back from that sometimes, can you? We can lose our hope, right? We lose hope, and then eventually sometimes we kind of fall away from it. But when God speaks something in your heart, your normal isn't your normal anymore. Okay? This is going to be encouraging. It's going to be uplifting by the end. Okay? So, I have this, this lovely pot of soil. Again, it's, it's more there just for looks today. So I know it's beautiful. Um, and I have these, uh, these tomato seeds in this bag. They're tiny. 
So nobody can probably see it, uh, but I'm going to put this tomato seed inside the soil here. A few weeks ago when I spoke, I did a, a cooking class. Can we say that, a cooking class? We made muffins. They were a little salty when we went home, but we made them. Uh, so last, last time I spoke, it was a cooking class. Today's a gardening class, okay? And next time, you'll have to wait and see. So I put this, this seed in here, okay? Um, can somebody give me a little water? Does anybody have any a little water here? Well, let's pretend anyways, okay? Pretend I, I put some water in that. It's going to grow right now, right? Just going to watch it for a second. It's growing. Right, is that growing? Seriously? All right. We've got to try some real water. It's got to work. There we go. That's perfect. That's great. That's, that's really good. So just give, it, just give it some time, guys. That tomato plant is going to grow. Okay? Just keep watching. It's growing. Yeah, we, yeah. Get that, get that dial-up happening again. Is it growing yet? I don't think I see anything. What about you, Jake? Do you see anything growing there? Really? You're trying to tell me that things just don't, don't happen like that? Maybe? So, every year, pretty much every single summer, I get this idea in my head that I want to grow tomato plants. Okay? Because who here loves fresh tomatoes? Every single person puts their hand up. Really good. Right? I love tomatoes. I love fresh tomatoes. There's nothing like it. Almost good as a pumpkin latte. Not quite. But I buy the seeds. I plant them. And I have to wait. I'm like, what is this? Who does this? The pioneer days? I'm like, what was that? Shouldn't I get my tomatoes like right away? Because that's when I want it. I want it so it should come, right? And I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and then eventually I'm just like, if we had our own building right now, I'd just chuck this, but I don't want to clean it up. I just, eventually I stop watering it because I'm like, oh, that's just too much work, and I go to the grocery store and I buy so-called fresh tomatoes that aren't fresh tomatoes for me, right? But I just get to this point where I just can't not wait any longer for this to grow, right? But underneath the surface, is there anything happening? There is, right? Underneath the surface that we don't see yet, there's something beautiful happening. When we water it, when we let it get the sunlight it needs, all of a sudden there's a growth happening. So even though we don't see it, we got to believe that something's happening. Amen? So again, when we're getting frustrated in our own lives, we got to think of this, this seed planted in the soil that even though I don't see something happening right now, we have to put our faith in God that something big is happening, right? And when we allow that time for it to, to grow forth, something beautiful grows, right? It breaks through the soil, something beautiful is happening. But it's a slow process, isn't it? Do I have any hockey fans in here this morning? I know I got a couple, I got a couple people. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs. Everybody in here know the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, we all know Toronto Maple Leafs, right? So Toronto Maple Leafs, they lost one the Stanley Cup in what year? 1967, all right? 1967 is the last time that Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup. The goal of the Toronto Maple Leafs is to what? To win a Stanley Cup, right? It's, no? <laughs> You're supposed to have money. <laughs> Shh. 
the goal of the team to come together is to win a Stanley Cup, right? Maybe money is a high on there, right? Blah, blah, blah. But, so that's the goal of the team. The goal of the team is to win a Stanley Cup, all right? 1967 is the last time they've won a Stanley Cup. It's been 52 years. Is my math correct? Just say yes, because that makes me feel good. Thank you. It's 52 <laughs> years since they've won a Stanley Cup, all right? Some people will obviously fall off the bandwagon of like, oh, Toronto, they're not going to win a Stanley Cup another year. I'm no longer a fan of them. But there's a lot of diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fans, isn't there? Right? There's a lot of them out there, probably because we live close to Toronto. But there's a lot of fans out there that stay with them every single year. And what do they say? They say, yeah, we, you know, we're probably not going to win a Stanley Cup this year, but we're in a building season. Don't you love when people say, we're in a building season here. Right? They're just investing in their team for the future. Right? We're investing into them. But it actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's a good thing to tell ourselves because it's a beautiful thing. That even though we don't see the Stanley Cups happening right now, we tell ourselves, we put our faith in it, that they are building up to win a Stanley Cup in the next few years, right? So if you guys, if they win a Stanley Cup next year or whatever, think back of today, all right? But I'm sure you guys can see where I'm going with that, right? Right, you guys can understand that, follow that concept, good. The waiting period is not a fun place to be, is it? The training ground period, who's all been there? We've all gone through that waiting place, right? Who knows the book, Dr. Zeus, all the places you go. There's like a couple of pages there on the waiting place. We're all waiting for something, right? It's really, really hard, okay? It's not fun to go through it. But what I was feeling this morning is just that a mind shift is happening, right? That there's this, this shift in our minds that has to take place. Because even when you think about it as, I'm a hiker, I like to hike, or I like to make my kids go hiking with me, is when I get my kids in line, and I'm like, guys, we're going to go hiking, they're like, oh my gosh, seriously? You know, it's like two minutes into the hike, and they're like, we're tired, right? This is too hard. All, it's the end of the world, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this would have been so much more enjoyable if I went by myself. And I started regretting that I invited them right? But once we get to the top, it's so much more enjoyable, right? When we've gone through the hard work of pushing through those first couple of minutes of like getting them to have a better attitude, and when you finish your hike, all of a sudden it's just like you appreciate the view from the top of the mountain that much more, right? Compared to that top of the mountain, if I just got elevated up there, which would be kind of fun, right? But I wouldn't appreciate it near as much, would I? Right? If I go on Google Earth and I look at the top of Mount Everest, oh, that's beautiful, that's quite the view. But if I actually go through the work, the training, in order to climb Mount Everest, I'm going to enjoy that view a whole lot more. Amen? All right, I got one more, one more scripture for you guys. Um, John 11. So I'm going to paraphrase through this. John 11 is the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Okay, uh, Mary and Martha, Jesus comes, Lazarus is dead, right? Do you guys know that story? You got a couple people shaking their heads, yeah? Okay, so Lazarus is dead, okay? Martha hears that Jesus is coming. So Martha runs out to him and says, if you were here, none of this would have happened, Right? 
If you were here, none of this would have happened. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? Right? Just thinking in ourselves, like, God, if you would have done this, none of this would have happened. Can you guys relate to that? I know I definitely thought that maybe five or a hundred times. Because my ways are always really, really good. But verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. Right? A lot of times when we're going through the waiting place, that training ground period, we feel alone. We feel like I'm the only one going through this. Nobody loves me. God is distant. Right? We don't understand it. Okay? But tell yourself this morning that you are loved. Even if you don't feel it from the people around you, because we're not in control of that, but we do know that God loves you, okay? Uh, Verse 21, though, it goes back into that Martha runs out to Jesus. If you were here, none of this would have happened. A little bit, a few more verses down the road, Mary comes running, says the exact same thing. Jesus, if you were here, none of this would have happened. Right? We don't understand the timing, do we? We don't understand that process of going through that waiting place. God's timing is far above us, right? It's easy down the road sometimes. I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's a little bit more easier down the road to be like, you understand things sometimes a little bit more, right? Like, okay, I can kind of see God's hand in that. Like, all right, God, I'll give you that one. Next time, though, let's do it my way. All right, it would have been a lot easier on me. Um, Because again, obviously, Lazarus gets raised. Was that easy on Martha and Mary? No, they were weeping, right? People around were weeping, so it just doesn't make sense, okay? But it's just like, word comes to Jesus earlier on that Lazarus is dead. Does Jesus leave right away to go heal him? He doesn't. He waits a couple more days. Like, why? What? You loved him, it says, right? You loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Why wait? Like, you love them. Don't you think that would make you feel like this is an urgent matter? Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? It's not just me, I hope. Right? You love them, so therefore it's urgent, so therefore go. But Jesus waits two more days. So it's four days time Jesus gets to Lazarus. Would Lazarus have still been alive if Jesus left immediately? No. He would have been dead for two days instead of the four days, right? Okay. So why is that important? Back then, um, they, they really believed that the soul hovered over the bodies for three days. So three days, the soul still hovered over the body. They, were, they would believe that there was possible that a resurrection would happen because the soul was just hovering over the body for the first three days. So by Jesus waiting four days, it cleared that concept right out the window. Right? On the fourth day, everybody would have been like, Lazarus is, is dead. There's no more hope for any sort of resurrection. Right? So by Jesus waiting those extra couple of days, it clears any thought from anybody saying that, oh, he got raised from life because his you know, soul was still hovering over his body, blah, 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 right? We can come up with reasons why things happen, right? But it takes that out completely. So what does it do to the people and the people watching this happen? It increases the faith in the room, right? Mary and Martha, what do you think it did to their faith? It increased their faith, right? Because, again, we may not have understood his timing there, then, and at that point, but the outcome of it is increased faith, right? It increased their faith. It increased everyone's faith that was there watching it, which is a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? 
So this morning, what's my takeaway for you guys? This morning when I was kind of going through this, I think we just needed a, a Philip in our hope this morning. I don't know about you guys, but life can be tough, can't it? You know, we're, we're constantly waiting for these, these promises to happen. We're constantly waiting, you know, to walk in this, the destiny that God has called us to. And the waiting, again, that waiting place is a hard place to be. But it's that constant reminder that even though we don't see things happening, that we declare that things are happening underneath the soil that we can't see. And the things happening underneath the soil are going to be big and beautiful things, right? Amen? So I'm going to invite you guys to stand up this morning. I'm going to get Lisa to come up here if she can and play for me. So I'm just going to get you guys to close your eyes. So this morning, I just really wanted Holy Spirit just to to come and just bring that encouragement this morning. Because I can do I can do a lot of talking sometimes, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us, right? Obviously, He can use our words, but it's His presence that transforms us. You know, in Acts five, when you know. People are just being overblown by the Spirit, right? Just poured into by the Spirit. That's what attracted people to the church was, was His presence. It was His presence that transformed lives. Abraham got that promise at 75. 99, God reminds him of that promise. And this morning, I want to give the Holy Spirit just time to to remind us of things that he has spoken into your life. There's been things that he has spoken into your life down the road that has been hard for us, right? And we've, we've kind of lost our hope in areas. And he's like, I haven't forgotten about it. Just because we think it's dead, like Lazarus, doesn't mean that's how he sees it. He sees Lazarus totally differently. Just because we think that there's no hope in the situation doesn't mean that's how he sees it. So this morning, I'm going to stop talking, Shirley, and we just want to just wait on him. Just let him come and speak to your hearts this morning. Let him come and just renew that hope this morning.